Amen. Bishop Bass, come and preach the word of the Lord to us. We're so honored that you could be with us one more time. Let's welcome this great man of God. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Well, it's already obvious that you are happy to be in the house of worship today. Amen. You've already made that evident, so I don't have to ask you that question. I uh, was thinking while Pastor was uh, opening or making comments uh, earlier in the service about God extending your life. And uh, I, I can identify with that uh, uh, those words that he spoke, the manner in which he spoke them in uh, 2007 on September the 4th at 7.30 in the morning. The doctor looked at me in his office and he said, Mr. Bass, or Reverend Bass, he called me, he said, uh, you have an incurable form of cancer. He said, you, we don't know the cause and we don't have a cure. And uh, that was in 2007. Two men that uh, were in the same city diagnosed within a month of my diagnosis. Um, they both died within a year. I'm still here. Hallelujah. still here <clears throat> and I have a great testimony amen song says look what the Lord has done hallelujah and in my uh, you know in my time of thanksgiving I, I look in the past four years now I've, I've done a lot of missions works for the past 35 or 40 years traveling extensively in various parts of the world. Uh, but in the past four years, we have had doors open that it's just been unbelievable what God has been doing. Actually, right now, this service, there are people in the country of India and there are people across the continent of Africa that are connected and watching this service right here in Almeida. Would you make them welcome right now? Thank God. And doors that God opened up, uh, we have seen, uh, and, and I, I don't have time today to give you a uh, complete breakdown, uh, but I do know that in India, one of the network of churches that we are associated with working with uh, this past year they baptized uh, over or they had over 17,000 receive the gift of the Holy Ghost Amen and then they baptized over 7,000 I believe it was and I asked why what's the disparity and they said well Many of those that are receiving the Holy Ghost have already been baptized, and we're just having a great revival of people receiving the Holy Ghost. And that's important. Amen. Across Africa, the southern part of the continent, God opened doors there. And uh, we have had, I don't even know the exact number because we can't keep up with the numbers. And I'm not really worried about keeping up with the numbers because I know God is. 
but we have had several hundred Trinitarian preachers baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God. So we're, we're working directly with about eight different African nations, and uh, we probably are working indirectly with around 12 to 14 of those nations. And uh, it's just amazing what God is doing. And we trust that you will uh, pray with us. Uh, we're doing a shepherd symposium in the Congo in August. Uh, we'll also be going to the country of South Korea to uh, lay the groundwork for a shepherd symposium in 24. And then uh, we will have another symposium in Zimbabwe and also in Zambia in the month of October. So God is doing great things. And I have nothing but a good report for you today. Thank God. I want to give honor to your pastor. How many thank God for your pastor and first lady? Amen. Aren't you blessed? And, and I know when, when preachers talk like this, everybody thinks that we are members of the Mutual Admiration Society. But I do have a lot of respect and I have a lot of confidence in your pastor. He is a voice from his generation that is very important to the apostolic movement today. Very important. And, uh, and in all reality, uh, that's why I'm here. I'm here because I believe in your pastor. And I believe in his ministry. And I believe in what's going on right here at East Bay. I'm going to try to obey the Holy Ghost. Um, I want to read from the book of Matthew chapter 4. And uh, to many people it will be a familiar passage of scripture. But this is what I really believe that God would have me talk to you about today. Beginning with verse number 8. Matthew 4. Beginning with verse number 8. Reading through verse 10. It says this. Again. The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve I want to talk to you today on this thought the divine priority amen the divine priority and everybody shout amen God bless you you can be seated the writer Luke uh, records this same event uh, that Matthew did these temptations of Jesus by Satan, but I know that uh, that Luke actually adds some things that Matthew does not. He gives a little broader perspective of how some of this unfolded. The one of the things that Luke mentions that Matthew does not, and that is that he said the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him. All the kingdoms of the world, and this is what Luke adds, in a moment of time. Yeah. 
Now, I understand that this example, uh, this reference would be old to many people, but it still uh, is very valid. And it is important that we understand that the devil doesn't need very long to show you what he has to offer. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he did it in a moment of time. Because the devil doesn't need much time to show you what he has to offer. Your life out there in the world is nothing but a repetitive experience week after week, month after month, and year after year. One Saturday night party is going to be like the last Saturday night party. Amen. One bottle of beer is going to be like the last bottle of beer. Might be a little variation in taste. I don't know because I never had any. So I really can't tell you what it's like. But I will tell you based on the testimony of people that nothing changes when you're in a world of sin. It's just one day after another of heartache and sorrow and pain and guilt and shame and everything else going on in your life. The devil doesn't need long to show you what he has to offer. But I got good news for you today. You can live a lifetime for Jesus Christ. And you will never discover everything there is to discover about Jesus and his kingdom. Hallelujah. You can read the Bible over and over again and go right back to the same passage you read a hundred times. And something else will unfold. Something else will be enlightened to your thinking. I'm just telling you about living for Jesus is the greatest thing you can ever do in your life. Amen. You can come to church and this service will not be like Wednesday night service or Tuesday night. And and last Sunday service is not going to be like this Sunday service. And you trust me, friend, you come next Sunday, it'll be a different service next Sunday. You'll be sitting there, the preacher will be preaching, you'll think, I never heard that before. I've never seen it like that before. It's because God has a way of showing you the freshness of living for him. No wonder the prophet of old talked about the mercies of God and his compassions. That they fail not, he said, they're new every morning. Every day you get up, the mercies of God are new. Every day you get up, God's compassion fails not. You need to serve Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. And there's another aspect here, and that is actually uh, uh, Matthew uh, addresses it somewhat. But in verse number 8, he begins with one word. He says, Again, And that's because the devil had already been there twice. He had already approached Jesus twice. Now he comes the third time. Because you can trust me, friend, the devil will never give up. That's why you can't quit praying. That's why you can't quit going to church. That's why you can't quit reading your Bible. Because the devil never gives up. The devil is not a quitter. Hallelujah. He tempted you last month. He'll be back to tempt you this month. He tempted you last year. He'll be back to tempt you this year. I'm just telling you the enemy of your soul. It doesn't matter if you're a young person, if you're a teenager, if you are 70 years old, he don't give up. 
He's after your faith. He's after your consecration. He's after your devotion. He's after every, my, 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 hallelujah. He never gives up. In fact, Luke says this, that Matthew does not. And said, when the devil had ended all the temptations in verse four, chapter four, verse 13, it said he departed from him for a season. Even though the three temptations, he could not get Jesus to surrender to those temptations. The word of the Lord said he left him, but he only did it for a season. And sometimes when the devil returns, it'll be like Jesus when he was on the cross. He'll come at your weakest moment. He'll come when you're struggling with all the crucifixions of life and the problems of life. And do everything he can to get you to stop walking with Jesus Christ. I feel like warning somebody here today. Shut your ears to the voice of hell. Shut your ears to the voice of temptation. He'll never give up. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands and rejoice in the Holy Ghost right now. But when Jesus responded to the devil, he set forth the two most important aspects of our relationship with God. That of worship and service. And Jesus does this by appealing to the word of God. He said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, I'm not going to preach all afternoon, but don't, don't, don't push me today. Let me take my time because I feel like God wants to help somebody in your walk with God today. Amen. He established by the word of God. And I am convinced that at least one of the passages that Jesus was referencing is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, where he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. It's important that you notice in the words of Jesus as well as the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6 that the spiritual aspect of worship is placed before the physical aspect of service. Moses said all of thine heart and all of your soul which is the spiritual side and all of your might which is the physical side. Jesus said it like this, thou shalt worship the Lord your God, the spiritual part, and him only shall you serve. That's the physical part of your relationship with God. Now, what I want you to notice is that in scripture, you're going to note that there are oftentimes words that are placed in sequence, sometimes phrases that are put in sequence and they're there for a purpose understand something the word of god is unique the word of god is perfect the word of god is not written at random it's written with purpose it's written for a cause and when you start noticing words in sequence then it gives you the order of importance of those words 
it establishes a process that we go through as we are endeavoring to draw closer to God. Let me give you some illustrations. In, in the book of, uh, of Isaiah uh, chapter 9 verse number 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice the next verse. It said, and of his government and peace there shall be no end. The reason why he put government first is because you can't have peace without first having government. Hallelujah. You got to have government first before you can have peace. If you don't have government, you got anarchy. But government establishes peace. But then he went on to say, of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Which tells us that you and I should always have an ever-ascending growth relationship with Jesus Christ. That as we walk with him, he has more control over us. He governs us in a greater measure. And as a result, we have a greater measure of peace. So as long as the lordship of Jesus is growing in our life, the peace of God is growing in our life. There's no place you get to where you graduate and you don't need God any longer and you don't need the government of Jesus Christ any longer. The longest day you live, you're going to need Jesus in your life. Amen. There's another beautiful example in Romans 14 and 17. He said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when you get the Holy Ghost, he's setting to us, the first thing you get when you get the Holy Ghost is the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. The righteousness. There is a connection. There is a government established in your life. And when you get the righteousness of God, you get the peace of God. And when you get the peace of God, you get the joy of God. There's a lot of religious folks that only want to talk about the joy of the Holy Ghost. But we will preach to you as apostolics that you got to have his righteousness first. The only way you can have the peace of God is if there is a righteousness that is in your life. When you've made things right with God, you get right with God, you get the peace of God. And when you get the peace of God, you get the joy of God. So it follows. You have more righteousness, more peace. More peace, more joy. More righteousness, more peace. More peace, more joy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil tell you that righteousness is not important. Don't let the devil, because he's trying to cheat you out of the peace of God. He's trying to cheat you out of the joy of the Holy Ghost. Mm, my, my, my. No, no wonder, no wonder Paul writes to the church and says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
Now, we like to use that, that to promote the presence of God in a service and having liberty to worship. And there's nothing wrong with applying it that way. But that's not what Paul is really talking about. Paul is saying, now, the Lord is that spirit. The Lordship of Jesus Christ has got to be present in your life. He said, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of Lordship is, there's liberty. Come on. You can't have real liberty unless you have lordship. You can't have real liberty unless you have government. I'm going to drill this home right now because I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Amen. We live in a world that says humanism is your answer. That you don't answer to a higher power. You only answer to yourself. And you do what it feels good to you to do. That's not the will of God. That's not the plan of God. Amen. Romans 8 and 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Once again, the, the religious world out there wants to put a period at the end of that statement. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, period. And that's as far as they go. That's not where the verse stops. The verse goes on to say, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Your condemnation, the lack of condemnation in your life comes because you're walking in the spirit. But when you're walking in the flesh, you're going to suffer condemnation. You're going to be condemned in your heart because of the life that you're living. Now follow what he said. Follow what he said. He said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, when you were in the world, when you were in sin, you lived under the law of sin and death. It controlled you. It manipulated you. It caused you to do. You didn't do what you wanted to do when you were in the world. You did what sin wanted you to do. You lived under the government of the law of sin and death. That's why when you come to Jesus Christ and he sets you free, it doesn't mean there's an absence of government. It doesn't mean there's an absence of rulership. It means there's become a replacement of government. Oh, hallelujah. I said there's a replacing of government. You no longer are governed by sin and death, but you're now governed by the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. I can't hear you, East Bay. Hallelujah. I'm trying to show you that sequential statements are important. They're necessary to understand how God performs the work in our life. My, my father, who preached for over 50 years, had a favorite saying about this business of liberty. He said, let me tell you about living for Jesus Christ, this business of freedom. He said, you're like the wheel on the automobile. Free to roll, but not free to leave the car. Come on. You, you, you let the lug, lug nuts come off of that wheel and it goes down the highway, it'll cause all kind of damage. And people that think that living for Jesus Christ means you can freewheel it and do what you want to do, you'll create more havoc and damage in people's lives around you. Let me tell you, when you affect people, you affect people because 
in you that's different that's in them. They see a life that's being governed by the Holy Ghost. And they see the freedom you have, the smile on your face, the joy in your spirit. Huh? They see consistency, they see faithfulness. They don't see that in the world around them. Amen. So my point is that you've got to have lordship. You've got to have government in order for you to have peace. And you've got to have government and have peace before you can have real joy. My real joy is not that I feel like I am bound by all these rules and regulations and I'm bound. No, no, no. You got to understand I am at liberty now because I can become what I was created to be. I was created to be a worshiper. I was created to give him praise. I was created to bring honor and glory to him. Now I can live with that fulfillment through the government that's in my life. Can I get a witness in the house? So Jesus sets it in order. He establishes the divine priority. Thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Amen. He's setting the priority in place. First, a worshiper. I said, first, a worshiper. He didn't say either or. He said, and. Thou shalt worship the Lord your God and. Conjunction, connection. Him only shall you serve. So your service should flow out of your worship. Your service should flow out of your love for God. Your service should be the result. Amen. Now, I've been in the ministry for over 50 years, all right? And I've noted that so often we place the priority of service over that of worship. Amen. I said, we place the priority of service over that of worship. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's a lot easier to teach people the mechanics of activity than it is to teach them how to have a relationship with God. Well, hallelujah. So much easier. It's easier to teach folks how to dress, where to go, where not to go. It's a whole lot easier to give them a list of rules and regulations. It's a lot easier to give them a list of do's and don'ts than it is to teach them how to pray, to teach them how to consecrate, to teach them how to devote their lives. Amen. But I want to give you a warning here this afternoon. And that is this. The mere mechanics of activity will cause your service to God to become a job instead of a joy. And your dedication to that service is going to wear real thin 
when you start getting exhausted trying your best to Amen. I want to help somebody here today. The enthusiasm of your performance can never take the place of enjoying the presence of God. Ooh, hallelujah. Come on. When you get in the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost, when you begin to praise him, when the Holy Ghost moves upon you, whenever, come on, then you can go out and serve God and you can serve him with joy. And you're not going to get exhausted serving him as long as you've been in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you why. Because I want to give you a contrast. I want to help you understand the difference between the two. Worship puts the focus on God. While service puts the focus on us. Amen. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 150, Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him according to His mighty acts. I didn't come here to praise God because I'm a perfect man. I didn't come here to praise God because I've done everything right, perfect, and good all my life. I've come to praise him because he's good. I've come to praise him because he's right. I've come to praise him because he never fails. He's never let us down. Our God's never disappointed us. Mm. Huh? When you start talking to Jesus and you start telling him he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the first and he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the ending, he's the one who is and was and is to come, the almighty. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the lifter up of our head. When you start talking about how great he is, how mighty he is, you're focusing on Jesus. When you walk in the house and you start praising God, because when you look back down the road of, of this past week and you can think, I haven't cussed anybody out. I haven't lied to anybody. I didn't steal from anybody. I did everything right. So I feel like I can praise him. You're praising God based on your service. I can't hear you. You're praising God based on your activity. When you come in here, don't count what you've done all week long. Count what he's done and what he's been all week long. Mm, hallelujah. Can I get a witness? Amen. You, you, have, you have to understand the, the, the difference between the two. Servers focus on self. For, servers focus on their own personal accomplishments, their own personal ability. And there's a whole bunch of stuff coming to my mind right now, but I can't, I can't go down that road because if I do, we're going to be here for a while. 
Amen. They focus on self. Amen. In fact, let me show you an illustration in the word of God that the problem with servers is servers judge everybody else by their level of service, by their standard of what service ought to be. Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha and Martha's preparing a meal. And Martha is busy, 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 busy here and there doing everything. And every time she walks through the room, she sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the more that she is get the pressure is on, the stress is on, and, and this starts grating on her. She gets all upset, and she finally can't take it any longer. And she goes to Jesus, and she says, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Uh, because servers are always measuring everybody else. Come on now. Now let me show you the distinct difference here. The worshiper says nothing about the server. Huh? The worship doesn't say anything about the server. Because worshipers are not focused on other people. Amen. Worshippers don't worry about anybody else because they're busy praising God. They're busy worshiping God. They're busy giving him honor and glory. They're busy focusing on him. But servers are always looking at everybody else. And they're saying if everybody in this church worked like I work, if they were as busy as I am, Come on. Somebody say amen. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to get down to where we live. Can I, can I get down to where we live right now? Amen. Pastor, pastor made a reference to the need of more people coming to clean the church and be involved. Can I just give you a little warning here? If you are down here cleaning and you are washing toilets and mopping floors, don't do it thinking, boy, I wish we could get some more help. If somebody around here would have the same burden I've got, if somebody... You're getting focused on service. You ought to be doing this saying, Jesus, I'm just glad to be down here working in your house. I'm just glad to be down here helping clean the house of God. Woo, hallelujah. Huh? Come on, that, that's, that, that's right. That ain't, just, that ain't just partly right. That is right. Amen. Because if you're not careful when you get involved in service and you see others that are, may not be measuring up, you start focus on the people. You focus on self. You start looking, this is what I've done, this is what I'm doing, and this is what they're not doing. And that's a dangerous place to get. Because now you're no longer focusing on God, you're focusing on self. Amen. And your feelings are, well, you know, if they, were, if they were just like me, I mean, if everybody in this church was like I am. Well, the problem is, if everybody was in the church like you, we wouldn't have spiritual services. We wouldn't have a move of the Holy Ghost. 
All we'd have is a bunch of folks with a list in their hands saying, this is what I did this week. What'd you do this week? Amen. I'm not worried about what you did this week. And I'm not worried about you knowing what I did this week. I'm only concerned about getting here and getting in the presence of God. Because ain't nothing like the presence of God. Nothing's like the move of the Holy Ghost. Huh? Thank you. Hallelujah. I want to tell you the difference between worshipers and servers. Amen. You see, you see what happens when we focus on service, we focus on self. That means our faith is in our ability. Our faith is in our talent, our strength, what we can accomplish. That's where our focus gets is on us. And when we fail, our faith is affected. When servers make a mistake or fail, they don't show up to church. Because their attitude is, why try? I might as well give up. They're just, what, 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 is it? what reason is it for me to continue on? Because I don't have what it takes. I, I, I'm weak. I'm frail. I can't live this. I can't walk this way. I can't talk this way. I can't be what I'm supposed to be. And so I might as well give up. You know what worshipers do? When they fail, they show up for church. They get back down front and say, I can't do it by myself. I need your help, Jesus. I need your strength. I know I failed, but you never failed. So I'm coming back to give you praise. Amen. Amen. You see, when your focus is on service, and it displaces your worship. It will jeopardize your faith. My, my, my. I said it will jeopardize your faith. It will put your faith into jeopardy. Amen. Because when you fail, your, your faith is in your ability. And when you fail in your efforts then your faith has taken a hit. No wonder Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your, huh? That your faith fail you not. You're going to get wrung out, boy. You're going to mess up royally tonight. You've been with me three and a half years. You've seen me open blinded eyes. You've seen me cleanse the leper. You've seen me raise the dead, feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And tonight, you're going to deny that you even know who I am. And you're not going to do it one time. You're going to do it three times. You're going to deny any association with me whatsoever. He said, but I pray for you because I don't want your faith to be affected by your failure in service. prayed for you that your faith fail not and when you are converted strengthen the brethren I've got something for you to do after your failure I've got something for you to do after you have dropped the ball I still got a work for you to do but you got to keep your faith in me you got to keep your confidence in me 
I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost today, keep your faith where it belongs. Keep your faith in the right place. Quit depending on self. Let me, let, me, let me show you what I mean by this faith being in jeopardy. You can sit down. It ain't that good. <laughs> Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus dies. They send word to Jesus while he's sick. And Jesus doesn't show up. He dies and they bury him. And Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. They said, he's sleeping. He said, well, if he sleeps, he's doing fine. He said, no, he's dead. Huh? And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes the worst things that happen to you, God's glad about it because he's finally got an opportunity to show you what he really can do. Huh? Amen. He's glad about it. He said, I'm glad. So they go to the head toward Bethany before he gets in the village of Bethany. Martha gets word that Jesus is on his way. She, she runs out to where he's at. The server, the server runs out to where he's at. And she says to Jesus, she stands nose to nose. Come here, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Come over here. Stand like this, like that. Just stand facing me. She stands nose to nose. She says, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You know what she's doing? She's accusing Jesus of not being the same level of server that what she is. Oh, hallelujah. I'm just going to tell you, you need to quit getting mad at God. Because he ain't doing things the way you think he ought to do them. Huh? And so Jesus looks at Martha. Just stand right there, brother. He said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. She said, oh, I know it. In the resurrection, she wanted to put it off till some future 24-hour period. In the resurrection, he'll, he'll, he'll rise. And she said, he said, Martha... I am the resurrection and the life. If any man believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And if any man believe in me and he live, he'll never die. Look at the next thing Jesus said. He asked her a question. Believest thou this? (laughs) Come on. He questioned her faith. He questioned her position where her faith in him was concerned. Martha, you got a problem with your faith. So the Bible said that Martha goes back to Bethany, to the village, to the house. She goes in and she tells Mary, she said, Mary, the master's calling for you. Why was the master calling? Because the master always calls for worshipers. First. Huh? It's not servers that attract his attention. It's worshipers. The master's calling for you. 
Huh? The Bible said Mary went out to where Jesus was and she fell down at his feet. And she said verbatim, word for word, the same exact thing that Martha said. Lord, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But it wasn't a problem with her faith. Hallelujah. Come on. Martha's statement was accusatory. But Mary's statement was coming out of the heart of a worshiper. Listen, she said the same thing the server did, but she said it in the posture of a worshiper. She was on her knees. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. She was down on her knees. Amen. Now, I want you to notice something. When she said that, Jesus looked at Mary and said, where have you laid him? Now, there's a verse in, in John chapter 11. You need to go read it sometime. Read it. It says this. Now, Jesus was yet in the place where Martha left him. He had not gone one step further because he's waiting on a worshiper. Because servers don't move him to the miracle. Worshippers move him to the miracle. Huh? Worshippers get him moving. You come to church and start telling God how good you've been, all the work you've done, everything you've been involved in, and God is not even paying attention. But when you start coming in, talking about how great he is, what a mighty God he is, how good he is, all of a sudden God sits up and pays attention. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. Woo! So where have you laid him? Say, come on, Lord, we'll take you to where he's at. They get to the door of the tomb. And the Bible said there was a great stone in front of the door. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. Amen. You know what the server did? No, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. Whatever you do, don't get that stone out of the way. He's been dead for four days and by now he stinks. No, no, whatever you do. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you one reason why that Martha did not want the stone rolled away. It wasn't because. Help me, Jesus. Somebody say, help me, Jesus. It wasn't because she was worried about herself. She was worried about the, the effect of the situation behind the stone that it would have on everybody else. Because there was a big crowd there that day. All the spectators that were watching this whole thing, they were, she was worried about the effect it would have on them. By now, he stinks. Because you see, here's the problem with servers. Amen. They're more worried about the crowd than they are getting the miracle. They're worried about everybody else's opinion. They're worried about everybody else's. Let me tell you something, friend. The spectators will cost you your miracle. Yeah. 
When you don't live for God because your family won't like it or your co-workers won't like it or your friends won't like it, you're too worried about the spectators. Worshippers would, ra- servers would rather keep the problem behind the stone. Jesus is saying, all right, I'm going to work this miracle. Our service leader this morning already mentioned it. You want your miracle, you're going to have to get involved in this. I'll make some notes on that. I'm going to preach. I'm going to do something with that. Amen. He said, roll the stone away because there's some stuff you've got to get out of the way to let Jesus out. But if you're worried about what everybody else says, you'll keep the stone in place. You'd rather live with something dead in your life than to have a resurrection. Amen. Let me help. I, I got to hurry to a close here. I got to land this thing. But let me, let me just tell you, the Bible talks about Job and how that, that, that the devil, when he came the, first, the, the two times, the first time he said, you built a hedge around his wealth. Tear that down, let me add it, and he'll curse you to your face. Job didn't do it. The Lord tore the, tore the hedge down. He tore the wall down. And then he came back and said, you got a hedge built around his health. Take away that, and he'll curse you to your face. God tore it down. Let me tell you something. Every wall that God builds, he has a right to tear down. Any wall God builds around your life, he has a right to tear down. But God said something to the devil the second time. He said, look, Job retains his integrity with me, even though you have moved me against him without a cause. He retains yet his, you know why? Because Job had built a wall around his life. And that wall said, it had words on the outside of that wall that said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Huh? He had signs hanging on that wall that said, though the skin worms destroy this body of mine, yet in my flesh I'll see God. Huh? You see, God doesn't tear down walls that you build. You build a wall, God won't tear it down. Now, there's a positive side and a negative side to that. You can build a wall of integrity and no, no power of hell can get to you and God's not going to bother that wall of integrity. But at the same time, you can build a wall between you and this pulpit. You can build a wall between you and the pastor that preaches behind this pulpit. You can build a wall between you and God. You can build a wall between you and the church. That's why you got to tear that wall down because God is not going to tear down the wall that you have built. Woo, hallelujah. Roll that stone away. No, don't do it. By now he stinks, but the worshiper was saying, get the stone out of the way. I don't care what it smells like. I don't care what anybody else thinks. The opinion of others doesn't matter. The spectators are not going to cheat me out of this resurrection. 
Get the stone out of the way. I'm going to tell you, friend, people that are servers don't want anybody to know about their failure, don't want anybody to know about their mistakes, don't want anybody to know about the things that they're going through. They want to hide everything. But worshipers, they don't care. The only thing they want is to be saved. They want to be right. They want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They want to live for God and whatever it takes. I'm not going to have so much pride. No wonder James, the writer, said, confess your faults one to another. Amen. Now, I understand you don't go out there and confess your faults to everybody. Because the next verse explains who you ought to be confessing to. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you're going to confess, let it be to somebody who's righteous. Who knows how to carry your secret to the grave. Because sins, oh, help me, Jesus. I didn't plan to get in this, but let me just tell you. Sins that are secret control you. You got a problem with pornography? It'll control you. Until you confess to a righteous man and make yourself accountable only then can the chain be broken. You can't defeat some things by yourself. The Bible talks to us about how that one of David's mighty men went out to a pit on a snowy day and he slew the lion. Why go out to a pit and slay the lion? Because he's contained. He's in the pit. He can't get out and hurt anybody. No, but when did he do it? When did he slay the lion? On a snowy day. Because he understood enough snowfalls. If it gets cold enough, that lion can pack enough snow down to get out of that pit. There's some things you can't contain. But only for so long. There'll be a cold day in your life. There'll be a day when you're weak and you better know how to slay some things. You better know how to destroy some things. You better know how to get the stone out from in front of the door so Jesus can get at the situation. Amen. Jesus did not say, thou shalt worship the Lord your God or him only shall you serve. He said, thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only. Because service should flow out of worship. Service should be the result of worship. Not the precursor to worship. It should follow worship. It's a priority. It is the divine priority that you and I learn how to be a worshiper first. I want to tell you the people that live for God over the long haul. It's the people that don't have confidence in himself. They have confidence in God. It's the people that trust in God. That's the people that live for God on the long haul. Because they keep right on coming back saying, I got to have you, Jesus. I need your touch, Jesus. I need your strength, Jesus. I need your help, Jesus. It's you, God. I can't do this by myself. I cannot do this alone. I got to have your help. 
Amen. I, I, I got to close, but let me just tell you right now, the Holy Ghost wants to help you. If you're in this house right now, there are those, there are those that are looking at us in this service today saying, I really would like to be what you all are. I, I really would like to be the way you are, but I don't know if I can live this. I don't know if I can walk this walk. I don't know if I can talk this talk. We got news for you, friend. By ourselves, we can't do it either. Huh? The reason we're what we are today is because something's working inside of us. It's because we're worshipers first. We're worshipers first. And because we're worshipers first, that service, don't, it's not a problem to serve him. It's not a problem to live right. It's not a problem to dress right. And if we fail in that effort of service, we just come right on back because we know that we can't do it without him. I'm not done, but stand. I could preach on for a while. The preacher's in the house. But when you understand the divine priority and you get the priority right, ain't no devil in hell can stop you from serving God. There's no temptation in this world that can keep you from serving God. Whenever you become a worshiper first, Amen. We're so guilty. We're so guilty, all of us, because we are apostolic. We are Pentecostal. And we do not believe in salvation by works. Amen. We don't believe in salvation by works. We believe in works that are a result of salvation. Big difference. We're saved by grace, not of works. We understand that. We know we can't be good enough to be saved. But he was good enough to save us. And now the works that I engage in are the result of my faith. They're the result of my worship. They're the result. That's why when I, when I get down to pray, I don't even talk about me. And, and I, I, don't, I, I, I trust, I, I don't like to use myself as a personal example. But, but the reality is whenever I get down to pray, I don't even start talking about me. I start talking about him. Because I know if I can get in his presence, everything else is going to be all right. How many want to be a worshiper today? How many want to get the divine priority right? Oh, hallelujah. 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 I feel so much Holy Ghost in this house. Hallelujah. Come on, if you've been struggling with your faith lately, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying if you've been in a backslidden condition, if you've, been, if you've been failing right and left, I'm not really talking about that so much. I'm just talking about if you've been struggling with your faith because you've been struggling with self. I want you to get out of that aisle this morning. I want you to walk down front and I want you to say, Jesus, today, today, I'm going to be a worshiper first. I am going to worship you first before I do anything else. I'm going to lift my voice to you in praise and in adoration. I'm going to get the priority right. Amen. Come on in close. Give everybody room. There's others coming down the aisle. Make way for those that are coming down the aisle. There's, there's, a, there's a number of them. There's a number of them that are walking down the aisle because they want more. They want more than just trying to be good in themselves. They want more than just trying to be good in their own flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on in close. There's others in the aisle. Amen. Give room. Hallelujah. This thing's filling up up here. 
Come on, saints of God. The Holy Ghost is working here. There's people moving toward the front that I believe they want more of God. They want the help of the Holy Ghost in their life. They want God to make a difference in their life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. He's doing the work right now. Holy Ghost is doing the work right now. Come on. There's something happening in the Spirit. I'm asking everybody up here right now, if you'll lift your voice in prayer. I want you as you're praying, I want you to start telling God how good he is. I don't want you to talk about your weakness. Don't talk about your failure. Don't talk about your mistakes. Don't tell God any of that. Just start telling God how great he is. Come on, lift your voice. Tell him how good he is. Tell him how wonderful he is. Tell him how righteous he is. Come on, church. Come on. He's here. Holy Ghost is here right now. Holy Ghost is here. The Holy Ghost is here. Something's happening in the Spirit.
let's thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Let's thank the Lord for who he is. Let's thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord. seven years and I assure you that never in the seven years of this church has there been a better sermon preached behind this pulpit than what you just heard I'm I'm just telling you what you just heard I'm I'm being real careful because I want to keep my eyes on God but I'm just telling you some of us came out from under real toxic ministry. And what this man preached was a sign and an arrow on how to get out from the effects of a misrepresentation of why we're in church, what the divine priority is. I have never in all of my years, and I've been preaching for 20 years, and that's not long in some people's eyes, but I'm telling you, that's a long time. I have never heard anyone more accurately, kindly, passionately show the way of escape. Just telling you, this is a sermon you need to hear regularly. This is a sermon you need to hear regularly. Because it will, stuff will try to get back on you. And I I don't suppose, amen, that any of us would ever want to give God less praise than what he deserves. Amen. And uh, God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Brother Bass, Bishop, Elder, Reverend, Statesman, I cannot thank you personally enough for what you just preached that's that was just a word folks just telling you that was a word the Lord bless you we love you in Jesus name